0: You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. Right now, I'm at my home studio, away from my home studio in Los Angeles, and hanging out with some friends, getting some work done, and I thought I'd be coming to sunny skies. But it's been raining i thought the song said it doesn't rain here right matter of fact play a little bit of that for me so i thought it said it doesn't rain but it's all good you know the rain brings forth life right it's one of those things that is part of the natural cycle and we need a little bit here in cali and again i'm on the road right now hanging out brought my wife and my youngest son along we've been having a good time and uh, getting to connect with some great people like my guest today. Now listen, a couple years ago, I did a masterclass episode on this overlooked and undervalued fat burning powerhouse organ that we have in our bodies. And the name that we give it is our liver, all right? It's a masterclass on the function and the roles that it plays in fat loss and weight loss. And so I'll put that in the show notes. And as I was going through all this research and I was just coming across these things that were just blowing my mind. And I was just like, why is this not put into a popular context? You know, why is it not in a major book? And it was as if Aladdin popped out of the lamp. All right. Full on Will Smith, by the way, I don't know if you know this, he's playing the genie in the live action version of Aladdin. So keep an eye out for that. But it's like Aladdin popped out blue and all like, Sean, your wish is my command. Here's that book. And so We have the author of this book that is talking about this incredible connection between our weight and our liver function on the show today. He's a return guest and I think it's really gonna blow your mind. So be ready to take some some good notes uh, for yourself, for the people you care about, for your clients. And by the way, if you do have a passion for health and wellness and you want to start helping people to achieve their health and wellness goals, or you want to better monetize, if you're already in the health and wellness space, whether you're a physician, whether you're already a health coach, whether you are you know, just somebody who is aspiring to get into the field, we've got something really special coming up. I'm doing a webinar and I'm sharing a six step health coaching blueprint to live the life of your dreams right now with a full client list and an even fuller heart. Because what's the point of doing this you know, a lot of us are chasing this dollar, but we're not really feeling fulfilled and we're not doing work that we're really passionate about. So I've had the great opportunity over the years to say, number one, saying yes to my vision, and then setting forth to sit across from other people in my clinical practice and to wholeheartedly do my best to help them to achieve their goals. And the the beauty that I've had the opportunity to be a part of has just been something that I can't even put words to. And I I can't do this by myself. That's the thing that really got me. That's why I started the show. That's why I started uh, writing books. This is why I started speaking, was to ignite a a, a mission and to help create this transformation generation as we do this together as a wellness army and really working to transform the world. But I got to make sure that you are able to make a living doing what you're really passionate about. So that's what this webinar is all about. Some of the things we're going to share are... Uh, Some of the secrets for creating a successful business that lets you live a life of freedom and fun even if you've never built a business before, all right? You don't have to be somebody who's experienced in this. And again, a lot of folks, I went to a traditional university. I was not taught how to create a sustainable business through my practice as a nutritionist or as a strength and conditioning coach or as an author or any of the things that I'm doing today, all right? Also, how to build a brand that inspires and motivates others, has them tripping over themselves to work with you, all right? Plus several other things. I think it's just going to blow your mind. Again, it's a free webinar. You can join us. It's coming up very soon. Just go to transformationalnutrition.com forward slash full heart, all right? Together as one word, full heart. Again, that's transformationalnutrition.com forward slash full heart. And you can get signed up for this free webinar and join me live, all right? Along with my partner at ITN, Institute of Transformational Nutrition, Cynthia Garcia. And this is coming up here. When this is released, you've got a couple of days to get signed up. So this is gonna go down February 13th at 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central. People leave Central out a lot, all right? 1 p.m. Central and 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. All right, coming up again, February 13th. So go right now and sign up for this free webinar to hang out with us. And on that note, again, listen, I've got somebody who is a faculty member. He's a faculty member at ITN. He's one of the people that you learn from, and he's one of the very best people in the world in his field. This is the kind of caliber of of people that you have access to. Why learn from somebody who's just trying to figure it out when you can learn from the very best person in the field? And that's what we really work to do at ITN. All right, so on that note, listen, when I'm traveling, when I'm on the road, I want to make sure that my nutrition is up to par, my immune system is doing what it needs to do. Because you know we're changing time zones, we're exposed to a lot of different conditions. One of the things that I do, I bring my Organifi Go Packs with me when I travel, and so these are green superfood blend that is low temperature processed to actually retain the nutrition that you're looking for in all of these incredible superfoods. So we've got spirulina in here, we've got chlorella. Listen chlorella contains lutein and zeaxanthin. These are two compounds that are critical to protecting your vision and clinically proven to lower your risk of macular degeneration. As a matter of fact, a study on lutein published in the Journal of Oleo Science found that test subjects who consumed chlorella did in fact have measurable increases in this antioxidant lutein in their system. So you might hear something about a supplement or a superfood, but does it actually show up in your body when we talk about uh, this conversion and it being available? And in fact, chlorella is one of those things that does. Another really important thing to understand about chlorella is it's one of the things that's been found to help your body to assist your cells in removing waste, in removing what we call these, quote, toxins. And this is going to be something that's highlighted today on this episode because we're talking about the organ responsible for a lot of uh, of your body's dealing with toxins and toxicants in our environment. All right, so chlorella is one of those incredible foods that supports our body in doing something that it's designed to do, but it's a little bit more uh, heavily burdened today with the conditions that we live in. So, and here's the thing I love about Organifi, which truth truth be told i've literally tried dozens of different green powders over the years i've been in this field for about 17 years now and i'm telling you i've tried them all and organifi is the best tasting green blend so it's not just the best formula with the green superfoods it has in it but it also tastes good as well so pop over there check them out add this to your superhero Repertoire. Go to Organifi.com forward slash model. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model. And you get 20% off all of the Organifi products, including this green juice formula. All right, so pop over there, check them out. Organifi.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Best Health-Related Podcast Ever by Gnarly Carly.
1: I'm not usually a fan of health and fitness podcasts. There are too many with biased opinions telling you what they think you should or shouldn't do based on the opinions or the latest trends. Sean and his guests present factual info, teach you what they know, and let you absorb it as you please. It's so refreshing just listening and learning and not feeling like the host is jumping down your throat.
0: All right, thank you so much for leaving me that review over on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate it so very much. And if you've yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. And again, it just means so much to me. I appreciate it very, very much. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is the incredible Dr. Alan Christensen. He's the author of the New York Times best-selling book, The Adrenal Reset Diet. He's a naturopathic medical doctor who specializes in natural endocrinology with a focus on thyroid disorders. And he's also the founder of Integrative Health, a physician's group dedicated to helping people with thyroid disease and weight loss resistance to regain their health. And he's been named a top doctor in Phoenix Magazine and has appeared on national television shows, including The Doctors, CNN and The Today Show and numerous print media. Dr. Christensen lives in Phoenix with his wife and son. You can visit him at drchristensen.com. And I'd like to welcome back for the second time, my friend, Dr. Alan Christensen.
1: Hey, dude. Glad to be with you here.
0: I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming to see me. Yeah. You know, you made this trip up here. We're expecting sunny California, but, uh, you know, it's all good.
1: It's a fun change.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, the rain is needed as well, Yeah, you know. It cleans and clears things out, like <laughs> our livers. <laughs> so, you know, I, was, um, I did a show a while back, just like a masterclass on the liver, and I was wondering why on earth isn't there a book that has all this information? And then my wish was granted, and this incredible book uh, came out. And I've gotta share this line really quickly because I wanna ask you about this. You said in the opening, naturally thin people are not superior. They don't try harder, nor do they possess superhuman willpower. They don't have better genes, and most don't eat fewer calories. They simply have one thing working in their favor. They have a better metabolism. So I want to start by talking about what the heck is metabolism? What does that even mean?
1: Yeah. You know... In most contexts, people think about it as being fast or slow. Like you burn a lot or you burn little. Mm -hmm. And what it really is, is your body's ability to manage things in the moment. So right now, you know, we're, we're talking, we're using our brains, but we're not eating, Mm -hmm. but we're using fuel. So that's metabolism. You try, you tap into what's stored and when it's healthy, you're getting more food than you need the moment when you do eat and you hold on to that and you do it in a way to where it's not stuck. And then later on, when there's a point where you need that, you can draw it out and not have to have your energy crash or get a lot of weird cravings. Mm.
0: And so one of the points that was really strongly communicated, I feel, because there's a controversy about metabolism, like fast metabolism, slow metabolism. But you do state pretty clearly that our metabolism, the rate at which we are burning this fuel can change. Is that right?
1: It can. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's the role of the liver behind that. Mm-hmm. It's got a couple of ways that it stores that. And when it works well, it's got room to soak up the excess and then give back when we need, when we need extra. And if it's not working well, a little bit extra means the body is making toxic fat that clogs the liver. Mm-hmm. And when it gets too full, it starts to leak. Mm-hmm. And so leaky liver is the new emerging concept.
0: Wow, leaky, cause you got leaky gut, mm-hmm. leaky brain, mm-hmm. now leaky liver. Well,
1: and the funny thing is leaky gut and leaky brain are more so concepts that are tossed about it. There's still a lot of conventional circles that don't regard those, but leaky liver has come from the conventional world of studying diabetes. Hmm. So diabetes, for example, when someone wakes up with high blood sugar, they didn't just have a meal. You know, right. that's their liver leaking that out. Hmm. And now what we've seen even further is that you test someone after a meal and some people have higher blood sugar than others. And we used to think that people had, you know, too much food or food that absorbed too fast. Well, now we can differentiate Your glucose from what you made versus from what came from the plate. Wow! And it turns out that for most people with high blood sugar, about eighty percent of it is what they made after the meal, and has nothing to do with what was on the plate.
0: Holy moly! This is already (laughs) blowing my mind. All right, so I want to talk about. Let's take an overview first in how our livers do play into this equation with our weight, with fat gain, for example. Let's yeah. just kind of give an overview of how does our liver kind of play into that whole equation?
1: So Sean, I've got a, a Walter Mitty fantasy about taking about a year off and fixing all these various issues and problems that we have in the world. And, mm-hmm. and they're, they're not like the serious ones, but they're like language is the first one. Mm-hmm. So the word fat means like 80 different things that are completely different. <laughs> That's so, 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 true. so dietary fat, body fat, stored fat. So we hold on to fat in three compartments. So we, first one is we've got fat below our skins that's subcutaneous fat. Uh, we're the only mammals on the land that have subcutaneous fat. Mm. Uh, dolphins, whales, but you think about like a dog. You know, they're, they're they can get big, yeah. but their bones are right below their skin. Right. Yeah, we're the only land mammals with subcutaneous fat. Fascinating. That's a fun thing we could go off on, but we won't. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we were mermaids at one point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mermaid. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So then there's the visceral fat, and we've all heard about that, the belly fat, it's dangerous. But what we've not heard about is that there's organ fat, and that builds up in the liver, the pancreas, and in the muscle tissue, and that's the worst. Hmm. So that one, the, the mass of like a couple grams, like a paper clip's worth of that, is the difference between being healthy and being diabetic. So, so yeah, how the body stores fat, some places you put it, if you've got a healthy liver, your liver puts away fuel in glycogen, which you can make only out of carbs, or triglycerides, which you can make out of carbs, fats, ketones, or alcohol. You can make anything into triglycerides. Mm-hmm. And if you've got some of both and the liver's not leaky, you can then burn those triglycerides and then burn stored body fat wherever else it is. Mm-hmm. But when you can't tap into those, the rest of it is all stuck.
0: Mm. man. It's such a complex and beautiful thing, you know, the system. And a lot of ancient cultures felt like the liver was kind of like the seat of the soul of health in, in many ways, you know? You mentioned that a little bit in the book. Totally. So what what did they have to say about the liver?
1: You know, the word liver and live, <laughs> they come right. from this, you can't live <laughs> without your liver. Kind of important. We think about our brain or like the heart is a seat of emotion. We've talked about that poetically. And yeah, exactly right. A lot of cultures, that was all about the liver. They thought mm-hmm. that's where your awareness would dwell and where the light went after it entered your eyes was thought to be the liver. And,
0: <laughs> You know, the reason I really love the fact that you wrote this book, and you talked about this on your first appearance as well, some of your story, is that you've got the experience of having an unhealthy liver and the results of that and you mentioned in the book like you know you were overweight kid in the 70s and when it was three times more rare than today which is not a good thing necessarily but you really stood out and you know of course like there's there's a lot of movies that come from you know they like the 70s or 60s base and there's like the one fat kid and right, it's kind of like right. you know this iconic character and you were kind of that character that and, was me um can you talk a little bit about your experience and how you kind of made this leap from because you're i mean people see you today you're one of the most fit docs walking around and your lifestyle is just incredible the things you're able to do at an, an age when a lot of folks are on their decline you know and so for you, why is this such a personal experience in writing this particular book?
1: You know, the whole arc of my life was shaped by um, by being shamed as an adolescent and by social ostracism. Uh, my my big love was science, space, astrophysics, but I, I was a happy enough nerdy kid. But then when adolescence came along, and I started getting the importance about peers and you know cliques and groups and girls and (laughs) and paying attention to this stuff and having it just not work out Um, and just totally through desperation i picked up some books and found some things and some things didn't work as well but some with a lot of perspiration and a little bit of inspiration and (laughs) it, it yeah it changed my life and i realized that you know how how your body works good or bad is like one of the just base determinants of the quality of your experience in this life
0: yeah absolutely and um, we've got a mutual friend who just you know we we were talking about the fact of you coming on the show today and she is just singing your praises so much like (laughs) a lot of people do just as you being one of the smartest people that uh, she's ever met we're talking about Cynthia uh, Garcia and I'm interested to know because you are just you know one of the smartest people that we know why did you take the track that you did in your training you know in medicine
1: yeah, it's a funny thing. You know, the, the arc there was that I was planning on conventional medicine. So I realized that how much my life was impacted by these decisions and medicine was like just a given. That's what I would do. And I didn't know of anything besides being a conventional doctor. Yeah, And also, I knew what a big factor that my, my exercise habits, my diet were upon my health. And so I knew they had to be a big part of what I did. And... The closer I got to that goal, the more time I was spending with doctors, and someone pulled me aside and said, you know, look kid, if you put a lot of your effort into all that natural stuff, Mm -hmm. that's violating standards of practice. Mm -hmm. You know, we've essentially got cookbooks that we have to follow from our boards, from the insurance companies, and you can help people and they can rave about that, but if you're not following the right recipe, you lose your license, you get into trouble. So I had a little while to where I was just directionless. I'm like, "Well, well, then what, you know? And I had, I had known about chiropractic and I thought, I thought about that. I planned on one school. Um, I didn't want to focus. I want to do more so internal medicine type things and more so lifestyle. I, I don't, my model in my head was only about chiropractic being back here. And I know it's more than that now, but that wasn't quite the right road, but it was the closest thing I knew of. And I was working in a food cooperative in Northern Minnesota. And I was the guy who would tell you which supplements to buy or, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which herbs to get. And, uh, and I saw an article in a magazine talking about the naturopathic profession. And it's a cool thing. So we're part of a 200 year lineage. There's the, the medical staff, the caduceus, the, the stick and the, and the snakes, you know. Mm-hmm. So there was two snakes back when. There was panacea and hygea. If you look now, there's one snake and that's mm-hmm. panacea. And that's about medicine as intervention. But hygea was hygiene. That was medicine as preventing things before they happened. And that's where the naturopathic profession really came from, was the idea of integrating intervention with hygiene and lifestyle. Mm. So we've bared that torch for a couple hundred years. And I learned about the profession and realized that I could be a physician. I could do the elements of that that were important to me, but I could have a community of peers that supported my beliefs and helped me grow in those directions.
0: Mm, I love it. Love it. Such a great story. (laughs) So I want to talk about knowing that our our livers can essentially just start printing, it can be like a copy machine, just printing out fat <laughs> and this process of lipogenesis. Yeah, really. yeah. Um, your book is really dedicated to helping us to heal this critically important organ. But my question immediately is just like, how long does this take? And it gets into the conversation of just how resilient and regenerative the liver is. So can you just talk about that before we get into anything else?
1: You know, it's crazy exciting. I. I think about our bodies, you know, we think about ourselves like a static entity, but there's some old saying about how you can never cross the same river twice, you know, because the water is, it's Mm. new water next time. And we're kind of like that. I mean, last time we sat together was what, a couple years ago? And, you know, you (laughs) and I carried no atoms now than we had then, Mm. or maybe a few fraction of a percent. You know, what you and I are, there's nothing that was there then physically. So we completely regenerate. And to be really precise there's a few things in bone marrow or uh, old nerves that might take five years so maybe a few of those are still around but not much this is like a fraction of a percent and the liver is way up on that list as far as resiliency and regenerative capacity you know liver donors commonly will give up half or two-thirds of their liver and the rest just fills right back in again no problem Mm. so the beautiful thing is that as important as this is it's also, I guess, if you had to pick one part that was important, it was broken, that's one you would pick because it can fix really well. That
0: is crazy that <laughs> our, we have that kind of regenerative potential within us, man. Freaking merman. You know, <laughs> it's the <that> Aquaman <laughs> time of, uh, of life, man. So let's talk about now what does our liver actually do for us? Because it's such a wide array, it's so fascinating. And I can see why uh, our ancestors really valued and, and praised this organ as kind of like, again, a, a the heart, you know, ironically, of our health. So let's go through some of those things. Just, let's just do some bullet points on what our liver is responsible for.
1: You know, so imagine that we could flip some cards back really fast, and these cards are pictures. So there's a picture of you, there's a picture of your dad, grandpa, great-grandpa, and let's do about 200,000 greats. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and let's do about a million greats. And let's do another million greats. So now we've got single-cellular organisms. <laughs> mm. And we've got things that are living in the sea. And they would get the right environment by moving to it or moving away from the bad environment. They couldn't control their, their chemistry. They had permeable cells and they had to go to where the water was warm enough, to where there was things they could consume, to where it was the right concentration of things, uh, enough sunlight, uh, or they would drift to the right places, luckily. So when we left the sea, this is just like the filter for an aquarium. You know, We kept our liver and that's how we manage our blood chemistry to be pretty much akin to what sea water is. Mm. And every moment, our blood has to have the right balance of just countless uh, uh, amino acids and electrolytes and protein derivatives and carbohydrate byproducts and neurotransmitters, and that's all managed by the liver. Mm. So it's all kept in right because of that.
0: Mm. So let's talk more about the blood. So our blood is passing through our liver, correct? How much what's what's the rate that it's doing that at?
1: It's it's fast. So it's a matter of like liters every few seconds. It's just Crazy. pouring pouring through.
0: And getting yeah. cleaned. And getting cleaned. Wow. So interesting. So interesting. And also you mentioned something earlier about its ability to store.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's not just triglycerides, but which I want to talk more about, but nutrients. Yeah. You said in your book that your liver is like a twenty-four-hour grocery slash pharmacy, <laughs> right? So let's talk about that. You know, I've heard
1: about uh, manufacturing, like the, the the best the best factories, to where they have no inventory. Mm-hmm. You know, they're putting together a car, and the shipment of tires arrives when they're due for more tires for this car, and they take them from the 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 FedEx truck, probably not, but right onto the frame. Mm-hmm. So our bodies are not like that because. We're consuming these building blocks. There's a small number of things that we need from our diet. We have to get the macro and the micronutrients. There's tons of things that we make those things into, that we fabricate those into other byproducts. But we're only getting a supply every quite infrequent relative to our constant need. Yeah, and we're using true. this stuff every second of the day but the truck only shows up, you know, whatever, how many times a day, three, five, whatever the number is, it's not constantly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the liver- It's not always the same thing. It's not always the same thing, that's right. You're not getting what you need in the moment ever. So the liver is the place that stores everything and Mm. directly the things you need in their active state, but also many things that we've got to fabricate. So it'll it'll build what we need in the moment, the non-essential amino acids or the neurotransmitters, it's making this stuff up on the fly just
0: constantly wow so our, it's our liver that's making these amino acids for us
1: the non-essentials it's converting yeah. them by and large yeah
0: wow so so cool it's not just the conversion with amino acids but also hormones
1: mm-hmm. so that's the funny like thing that. so hormones are so crazy powerful they're regulated in a lot of ways and i think about it as regulation by like above and below so above your brain has the hypothalamus and pituitary. Uh, My my physiology professor said the proper pronunciation is hypothalamus. (laughs) (laughs) We're not worthy, yes. (laughs) So yeah, so the hypothalamus and pituitary, they're controlling from above what the glands release. But after the glands release their hormones, they always put out way more than we need when, when they're working reasonably well. And also they're making not enough forms that we need So, the Mm. thyroid makes a lot of T4 Mm -hmm. and some T3, but we need lots of T3 and T2. So, there's a whole lot of stuff that's active forms. Exactly. So, there's tons of stuff that's in circulation that the liver then takes and activates. Mm. That's true for stress hormones. You know, our adrenals make cortisol and cortisone, and cortisone is almost completely ineffective. But based upon the tissue needs, our liver can swap cortisol into cortisone and vice versa. Wow. And that's true for estrogens and the androgens and the progestins. They're all yeah. really fine-tuned by liver function.
0: So this is something and I know you've seen this in hearing stories from patients working with other people. When they have thyroid issues, they're just focused on the thyroid. It's something with the thyroid. And I yeah. understand, what about the liver that's doing this conversion?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, and then there's its role upon the immune
1: response. Yeah. So we've had a lot of good awareness about the gut and the microbiome. It's awesome. It's real stuff. But here's the funny concept. So your gut is not inside your body. <laughs> now imagine that if I had a, a big tube in my mouth and my butt, like that mm-hmm. big round, and mm-hmm. I dropped my keys there, yep. they'd blow right through mm-hmm. and they would have no interaction with my body. Mm-hmm. So your gut is just longer and narrower, mm-hmm. but it's the same thing. What's in your gut is not in your body. Wow, it's a tube. It's a tube. Yeah. When you assimilate what's in your gut, then it's in your body. But the port of entry is your liver. And all things come from the vasculature of your intestinal tract to your liver before it goes anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And there's specialized cells called kupfer cells that are only in the liver, and they're the immune cells that say, "Hey, is it safe outside or not? You know, what have we got coming in? Do we need to risk an autoimmune response? Do we have to put out more inflammatory chemicals?" That's all up to the kupfer cells signaling the rest of the immune system. Mm.
0: And so you mentioned in the book, specifically in talking about this conversion with hormones that your liver can literally slow your metabolism by hundreds of calories per day if it's unwell. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, I guess, is a result of its interaction with thyroid and also with cortisol. Yep. So that's so fascinating. Well, and then- so that's
1: just slowing metabolism, but also how it changes cortisol changes where fuel goes. You know, Mm -hmm. whether fuel goes to muscles or whether more goes to the visceral fat. So, yeah, I can change the tracks on the railroad as well.
0: Right. And the more visceral fat that we develop, the more that changes what our metabolism is actually doing. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Another thing that um, I'm not sure if you mentioned this in the book, but I had come across in my research a while back is its relationship with insulin.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. So I
0: want to talk about that because I think not only does it have a front kind of... um, uh, interaction with it, but in the backside it's responsible for uh, insulin breakdown. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the,
1: the Well this is insulin. funny. there's a lot of talk now in diabetes research about diabetes being first and foremost the disease of the liver. So there's insulin and glucagon, and insulin in the pancreas does a lot of things there before it's used outside the body. And in the pancreas, so it's called an endocrine and an exocrine hormone meaning it, works, it has roles to play in the gland and outside the gland. Mm. And in the pancreas when it works well, insulin shuts off glucagon production and glucagon causes the liver to release glucose. They've shown now that you can take mice that have similar metabolism to humans about blood sugar and you can have them have no insulin whatsoever. But if their livers do not respond to glucagon in an exaggerated way, they don't have elevated blood sugar. There's no rise of blood sugar unless you get an over-response to glucagon. So what insulin should do is get a good spike and then shut off glucagon production. And then the liver should respond to it mildly. But what happens is the liver over-responds to glucagon. And then we see all this glucose that the liver's releasing.
0: Hmm. Man, this nuts. There's so many other things that go in alignment with that. This whole relationship with uh, insulin and, and storing or using fat but I wanna talk a little bit about something that's kind of weird with the liver, which is when we take medication, supplements, all this different stuff that can potentially do some good for us, but there's, chances are, especially with synthetic drugs, uh, some downside. And I would tell people that it's not necessarily the drug that's doing something, it's how it's really interacting with your liver and what it's allowing the drug to do because our livers are responsible for drug metabolism in a sense. So let's talk about how our livers are kind of interacting with these random things we're putting in our bodies.
1: You know, that's all spot on medications affect it strongly. The other thing is that things affect it in combination in ways that are completely unpredictable and that can be medication, but that can also be supplements. Yeah. So supplements that are innocuous, but now there's like six different things. That's all for your liver to process. And I've had many people to where we've seen liver stress, high liver enzymes, and i just had them stop taking so many supplements and no one of their supplements was thought to be harmful to the liver none of them were like just bad ideas yeah. but the collective load was creating inflammation mm-hmm. so yeah pills completely affect it
0: mm-hmm. toxins like this is a big catchword today but we've got we don't need to be in as much fear as we are i mean things are different and it's kind of, there's some freaky stuff going on but our livers are so resilient at protecting us from a lot of the toxic exposure So let's talk about that role that the liver plays.
1: Yeah. So funny thing, I've got this stuck in my head now from an editor who scold me about this, but so a toxin is a poison from an animal or a plant. So mercury is not a toxin, believe it or not. Nor is DDT and nor is perchlorate and nor is bisphenol A. They're not toxins. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what are, are they then? <laughs> well, I guess toxicants or, you know, xenobiotics, but toxicants. Yeah. Um, it's a funny little distinction, but yeah. yeah, so all relevant and collectively we're exposed to quite a bit, you know, no, no secret there, but with exposure, this is bizarre. They know this in toxicology that the rate of, of symptoms, the rate of harm is never uniform in a population, you know, make this That's up. so true. Yeah, you've got 50 people, they're all in a room and... Say there's, some, say there's asbestos that's been off-gassing. Yeah. They don't all get mesothelioma, you know? Mm. So what we see is that there's, there's exposure, and then there's how much accumulates from mm-hmm. one person to the next. Then there's how that accumulation interacts with the formation of the body's own antioxidants, totally different from person to person. And then even after that, there's differences in how it plays out within mitochondria. So for sure, if we can remove any low-hanging fruit for our toxic burden, that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't get to perfect. You can yeah. you can take a sample from half a mile deep in the ice in antarctica and find ddt in that crazy so we can't be perfect so the thing is really like you said how do we help our resilience you know how yeah. we help our bodies be more resourceful against what we will be exposed to
0: yeah that's so true because i'm just thinking about you know people getting exposed to like you said some kind of you know strange gas and like one person's like shooting projectile vomit out of both ends, you know, and like somebody's just, their eyes are watering. Right. You know, it's just how their body is.
1: And then someone else like, what? I don't smell anything. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is so nuts. (laughs) All right. So we've been talking about some of the roles of the liver and I would love to shift gears a little bit and talk about how our livers can actually get, quote, clogged. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's a probably the burden of all of those things coming together, but I just want to hear from you on it. You know, just that.
1: So too much to process, and it forms a lot of extra fuel. And I mentioned about how there's the the two types, the glycogen and triglyceride. Now, they're both important. We need some of both of those. Mm-hmm. Glycogen is not very concentrated. It's got a lot of water wrapped up in it, and it takes up quite a bit of space. Uh, just like, you know, just like oil being more, more dense in terms of its caloric load. So same thing, triglycerides are more dense. However, they require glycogen to burn so you can you can literally have triglyceride crowd out of its space and take away the room to store glycogen effectively and that's what it means to get it clogged Hmm. there's a lot of extra triglyceride but there's too little glycogen to burn that triglyceride almost like you know lighter fluid and coals or something you need a quick burning thing to get the slow burning thing going
0: Hmm. that's fascinating so removing these clogs is a big part of the metabolism reset Mm -hmm. and with that there are well before we even get to that before we get to the kind of how to some of the steps to take i want to talk about fatty liver mm-hmm. right specifically so when i think about it, i think about something related to alcohol right and right. so you have shared that there is another way that we can get this kind of fatty liver which is becoming an epidemic that people aren't really talking about
1: totally huge so they call that NAFL or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or syndrome based on how bad it is and yeah, it looks just like alcoholic liver disease, but it's someone who's like, just doesn't drink all that much. And I mentioned before briefly about how um, alcohol can also be treated as a fuel, mm-hmm. uh, you know, carbs, fats, ketones, alcohol to your liver, they all have the same byproduct of oxaloacetate. Mm-hmm. They're all the same thing at a, at a chemical level. So what happens with fatty liver is that there's so much triglyceride, it physically makes the liver have a harder time draining blood through it. and most people have a sense about body fat on a person you know like what 10 is lean for a guy and probably too lean for a woman so for your liver five percent is too much you know above that it's fatty liver and in medicine we've got two different ways of looking at things we can rule things in or rule things out and ruling seeing things are easier you know on the way over here I saw a sign about the the mountain lion the kind of celebrating the mountain lion in the area and I'm sure that you don't see them that much. You know? and once <laughs> right. you see one out on a trail, mm. you know they're around, mm. right? But if you don't see them, you can't be sure they're not around. Right. And that's how a lot of diseases are. So what's the rule out? And diseases that aren't easily ruled out fly below the radar. Mm-hmm. So in the case of, li- of fatty liver, the only definitive rule out, like to burn down the woods for the mountain lion, I guess, is, is a biopsy. And you never screen healthy people with biopsies, you know. But the one exception is liver donors, so if someone wants to donate liver tissue, they've ultimately got to do a biopsy to be completely sure they've got healthy liver tissue to give. Mm-hmm. But before that, they've already shown that they have no inflammation, you know, no high liver enzymes. They've had an ultrasound. They've got a normal liver ultrasound. They're not diabetic. They're healthy body weight. And after all those hoops, when you take potential liver donors and you give them a biopsy, 40.2% are unable to share tissue because they've got advanced fatty liver disease. Wow. So in the wow. healthiest populations. And then the other big wrinkle is that there's, it's on a continuum, fatty liver disease is on a continuum. You know, diabetes, if you're 127 for your morning fasting glucose, you're diabetic. So the guy who's 126, isn't all that radically much better, right? right, right. <laughs> so the same thing, this is on a continuum. And everyone who's had blood tests, they get liver enzymes done. That's like every blood panel has that. and. Most labs say you're normal up to about mid-40s to low-60s, but the data is completely conclusive that if you're a woman and you're above 19, there's something wrong. And of course, it could be a lot of things, medications, hidden hepatitis, but barring the less common causes, it's early fatty liver. So any listeners that can look back at a last blood test and just look at their chemistry panel, there's a thing called an ALT, and that's specific to liver function. And for a woman, if that's above 19, Or for a man if that's above 30 there's a problem and that's smack dab in the center of the normal range
0: Mm. and this can be leading to issues with weight this could be leading to issues with inflammation and autoimmunity and the list goes on and on yeah wow um let's talk more about these different fuels yeah because now we're kind of getting into some of the how-to like what does the liver really require and run well on, Mm -hmm. and what can kind of overburden it faster. So, one of the things you talk about, because there's been a lot of diets that, they're so hyper-focused on carbs or fats, they're not talking about proteins as much, and you talk about the importance of protein for the liver.
1: You know, that's the big pitfall, is that it's, it's it's no magic trick to drop a few pounds. Anytime you really lower your food intake, you drop a few pounds. If you cut out a big food category, you drop a few pounds. But it's really about, your body composition, and about your lean body mass. You know, it's funny, your liver and your muscles have a lot of things in common, and this is one of them. So your liver needs to have essential amino acids to get rid of the junk that's stored inside of it. It has one group of pathways called phase one, and that's a group that a lot of things trigger it easily. That's how you take toxins and you move them out of your storage, or you chemically change them to make them more volatile, so you get them ready to get out. But then phase two, you package them up and you ship them out. And the problem is we get too much phase one and too little phase two, and we make things more harmful and don't get them out. So if we just lower our food intake and our protein goes down with it, well, we may drop some pounds, but we're losing muscle mass. Mm -hmm. We've got to use the muscles to get those proteins for the liver. And the liver may not recover or get healthier from that. So the trick is how do you collectively lower that burden of extra fuel, the, the carbs and the fats, but still maintain a healthy amount of protein so the liver can heal itself and start functioning better again.
0: Yes. Yes. So we've got proteins. What about fats? How does that interact with the liver?
1: Yeah. So they're, they're a version of fuel and we need to have triglycerides and glycogen. Now triglycerides are the most easy to, to produce. You can make extra carbs, fats, ketones or alcohol into triglycerides. Everything can spill over to triglycerides if there's too much. Glycogen, you can only make some carbohydrate. So, a pitfall about, say, being ketogenic, for example, right, yeah. funny thing, people think about being ketogenic as burning fat. It's the antithesis. It's when your body cannot burn fat that you go into ketosis. So, your liver can't use ketones for fuel. And if there's more than it needs, it just siphons them off into triglycerides the same way it would with fructose or sugar or anything else. Mm,
0: this is controversial. I like it. <laughs> I like it. So, let's talk more about that and the, the role with the ketones and the liver. Because you just mentioned that the liver can't use ketones as fuel. And there's a lot of processes it needs to take care of.
1: Right. It's doing everything. And so in the absence of carbohydrate, it cannot make glycogen. Mm -hmm. And so remember I talked about all the ways that fat is a deceiving term. So there's lipolysis and there's beta oxidation. So there's breaking down stored fat and there's Mm -hmm. actually using fat for energy. And beta oxidation is what we want to do because that means your body is taking fat and it's got some way to actually get rid of it. And we can't do beta-oxidation without some glycogen. And so ketosis is what happens when we're not keeping up with beta-oxidation. We're taking that same fat and not burning it, but making it into a ketone body. Mm -hmm. And that's just rearranging the fuel type. That's going from diesel to unleaded, but it's still not burnt.
0: Ah, this is, (laughs) listen, there's so many different interesting aspects of what the liver's doing. It's just, and this is happening all the time, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, as you mentioned, just being the storehouse, so when we're eating, all of these decisions are getting made. It's just yeah. like it's so it's so fascinating and interesting to me um so we've got proteins, fats, we talked a little bit about ketones, something you've mentioned a couple of times, which i we I definitely want to talk about because this might hit people's heartstrings a little bit, but alcohol, I think it you mentioned in the book it has the fastest track, yeah towards what
1: you know i've taken a lot of heat for this for many years but the science has been clear that alcohol has no health benefits and that's gotten conclusive Ooh, now
0: that's a strong statement oh yeah. my goodness let me
1: go deeper in that <laughs> so for a while it looked like people that consumed some alcohol yeah. were healthier than those that consumed none mm-hmm. and especially in terms of cardiovascular death but what happened was let me make a quick parallel for a while we thought that people who were thin were unhealthy because some of them died earlier then they realized Hey, wait a lot of thin people are smokers or they have cancer so they skewed the results and with alcohol they found a similar problem so a lot of the people who don't drink there's two different categories there's those who have no medical reason not to drink but they don't drink Mm -hmm. and there's those who have medical reasons not to drink and the second group has health challenges you know perhaps they were alcoholics or perhaps they have known liver disease or they're on medications that are not compatible with alcohol or any other number of problems. But those who medically cannot drink, they do have more mortality than healthy light drinkers. But healthy non-drinkers have less mortality than healthy light drinkers. It's just a straight shot all the way down with less mortality. Mm -hmm. And the earliest thing that shows up is breast cancer risk elevates. So even, even a small fraction of a serving for women does start to raise breast cancer risks over time. And there's a threshold at which the risks are not astronomical, but there's there's never zero. And the best evidence we have is that there's just not health benefits in terms of heart health or brain aging or any of the other supposed benefits from it.
0: Okay, I opened up this Pandora's box. You know, there's some people right now, of course, they're walking, listening to the podcast. Just shout out to everybody. Shout out to everybody listening right now and uh, taking me with you on your drive or into the gym doing laundry and shout out to all the kids that are listening as well right now with their with their parents i appreciate you guys well some people are kicking back having a, a nice glass of red right now and they're like wait a minute so the resveratrol sure is is not gonna is not gonna keep me around for an extra 50 years
1: you know like leslie nielsen said we take risks every day of our life whenever we get out of bed or whenever we stick our tongue in a fan we're taking risks <laughs> <laughs>
0: So true. So true. I love it.
1: No, there there are things we do that are not serving our health that are probably negligible, You know that, are, that may be worth the enjoyment, that may give us more positive emotional things than there are negatives. But people should know that alcohol is in that category, yeah. that it's not a health food.
0: Yeah, especially in the context of our liver. Mm-hmm. You know, like we know this already, that your <laughs> liver is bearing the burden. Right. And if we're trying to get your liver healthy, this might be something to at least maybe take a dry um, Four week <laughs> detox, like you advocate for in the in the book, and just exactly. get your liver back to a state of health where you can even handle this stuff a little bit better with the healthy lifestyle and having a glass or two of uh, of your favorite red, you know, here and there. It's it's not going to take you out necessarily, but I just want for people sure. to understand that you just said it, it's not a health food, so just to be more mindful of it yeah. and that your liver is bearing this burden. So, man, so many great things to talk about, and I want to talk a little bit more about some specific nutrients that are key to our liver health, some foods that we really need to target that a lot of folks aren't talking about. And we'll do that right after this quick break. So sit tight and we'll be right back. One of the biggest barriers of entry to eating healthy is the expense involved. This is one of the biggest reasons that people use for not buying better products is that it just costs too much. And there are incredible grocery stores, mom and pop spots out there, chain stores like Whole Foods that are great. They're providing a lot of value and curating a lot of great products. Not always great, but a lot of great products. But the nickname is often Whole Paycheck because there's a pretty big markup for the whole process of getting the best products there on a store shelf. And so I really wanted to do something to help eliminate that barrier of entry to help people to get more access to healthy food and to get products that are curated and getting the very best brands that are doing good for people and for the planet. And this is why I utilize Thrive Market. Thrive Market provides many of the same products that you would find in stores like Whole Foods, but at 25 to 50% off most of the retail costs, which is absolutely mind-blowing. You could save 25 to 50% off many of your favorite products, your coconut oils, your nut butters, your Snack bars for the kids, kale chips, whatever it is you're into. Also personal care products. It's another big thing that's taking place right now is a shift in public consciousness and understanding it's not just what you put in your body, it's what you put on your body as well. And getting rid of all these toxic chemicals, but still getting the very best products. Also household products as well, cleaning products. So you're not putting all these chemicals and things like that that are going to impact your health and the health of the people that you love. And so they have all the best products, 25 to 50% off, and curated in whatever food approach that you subscribe to, whether it's gluten free, paleo, vegetarian, all of these things are categorized for easy shopping. It's absolutely amazing. I love Thrive Market so much. We save so much money. We literally save hundreds of dollars every year by buying many of our staples from Thrive Market, all right? So head over there right now, check them out. It's thrivemarket.com forward slash model health, together as one word, so that's model health, together as one word, and guess what? Not only are you gonna save 25 to 50% off of products anyways, your first purchase, you're going to save an additional 25% off your entire cart, all right? It's amazing, plus also free shipping, plus also free 30-day membership. And you're gonna wanna keep this membership because it's just gonna keep giving back over and over and over again. And giving back is another big thing that Thrive Market is doing because every paid membership, they provide a free membership to a family in need. All right, this could be uh, a teacher, this could be a veteran, this could be a low-income household. To keep paying it forward, to reduce that barrier of entry so that more people can get access to the very best healthy food. All right, so definitely head over there, check them out, thrivemarket.com forward slash model health. And now back to the show all right we're back and we're talking with new york times best-selling author and my friend dr alan christensen he's got a new book the metabolism reset diet we been talking about metabolism and the miraculous role that our livers play live liver <laughs> plays in us being alive and healthy and vibrant and before the break i mentioned that we're going to talk about some specific nutrients and foods that are essential for our liver function. So let's talk about some of these key nutrients yeah. that your liver needs to do what it has to do.
1: You know, the list is pretty much the list of essential nutrients, but some things are more commonly barriers than others. Um, mm-hmm. Magnesium comes up a lot, for example. Then there's a lot of other cofactors we'll find, things like betaine that we get from a big variety of foods, also there's relevance of micronutrients like zinc. Those are a couple of ones that are commonly lacking, mm-hmm. ones that it needs but often do end up in short supply from.
0: Let's talk about betaine yeah. because that doesn't come up a lot.
1: Yeah. So do you know the highest source of betaine in the common diet? No idea. Well, it's actually wheat. <laughs> wheat, wheat. <laughs> Not always everyone's favorite or best source, but yeah. beets always are top of mind. You know, yeah. beets, beets are rich in that but wheat is actually the highest dietary source typically,
0: mm-hmm. quite a bit more. I immediately thought about beets, but I was like, it can't be the highest. It is,
1: well, they're not the highest,
0: but, but yeah, in, they are a high source. Especially in the, in the role, especially with the data coming out about the impact on you know, the cardiovascular system with the beets and what mm-hmm. it can do for our blood. Yeah. So yeah, and just again, lots of stuff to add in. There's a lot of sources mm-hmm. that you're gonna find some betaine, but what, what specifically is this gonna do? Why does our liver need betaine?
1: Well, a lot of its reactions involve adding on a methyl group. It's called methylation and betaine is critical for many of those pathways. This is big in terms of how the liver interacts with brain chemicals. Mm -hmm. So we don't think about this a lot, but most of what happens in our brain with neurotransmitters starts in the gut and gets set up by Mm -hmm. the liver and prepared and then sent directly to the brain. Mm -hmm. And methylation is critical for much of that.
0: Methylation. This is critical for everything about us, you know, our cells, our DNA and betaine is critical in that
1: process. Well, the most weird thing about methylation is how things help it, but also what can harm it. So methylation, imagine it like methyl groups as being a key, and a key is made to fit the right lock, right? So what happens when you get a key that's made that doesn't come out quite right? You know, maybe it almost fits, Mm -hmm. and you can't quite turn the lock, and worst case scenario might break off, and now you can't get the right key back in. So that's folic acid. Mm -hmm. So as important as methylation is, the antagonist of that for many people is folic acid. So it can be an out and out poison for somewhere around 40% of the population based upon their gene differences.
0: That's nuts. Yeah. That's nuts.
1: And that's probably a lot of the harm we see from processed foods. It may not even be the food itself, but the folic acid that's synthetically added into it. Right,
0: which is different from folate.
1: Correct, yeah, folate and, and folinic acid and naturally occurring folates they're,
0: they're different chemicals. Yeah, and we need the, that mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yep. All right, so now let's talk about foods. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, let me pull this up in your book because I thought this was so fascinating. And this is a food that has been drugged through the mud a bit, and um, you know there's there's some issues potentially, you know, with lectins and with the preparation of these foods. But when prepared correctly, these can actually add some years to your life. So you have here. This was a study that tracked over ten thousand participants for nine years one ounce of legumes with resistant starch each day lowered mortality rate more than any other food group. And one ounce of beans lowered the death risk by more than 8.5 ounces of vegetables. Beans (laughs) are gonna keep you around longer. (laughs) Holy smokes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so well studied. And this is a funny thing. So beans have lectins, they have phytic acid, And there's a lot of things that you can find in foods that if you would take them and purify them, they would kill cells in a test tube or they would make a rat puke, you know? Mm -hmm. But how they work in foods is completely different. And the odd thing is that a lot of the same scary chemicals, you know, we're not consistent with how we treat them. Sometimes we like them, sometimes we're afraid of them. Mm -hmm. You know, broccoli has glucosinolates. It's way more poisonous than any lectin you could imagine. It's an insecticide. If you could purify that, it would be you you couldn't legally sell it anywhere. It's completely poisonous. But the amounts in food just happen to be enough to freak our livers out and think, oh, wow, there's some creepy stuff around here. I've got to beef up and get ready, you know? So we call this hormesis. And things that are toxic but are in minuscule quantities in the context of many other chemical messengers may be helpful for us. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we often lose the bigger picture of that.
0: And also the people that talk about uh, lectins like um, Dr. Stephen Gundry, for example, he's an advocate of beans. It's just for him, it's the preparation, you know, doing it more of kind of a traditional manner, uh, manner which is soaking them and or using a pressure cooker.
1: Well, and, and cooking them. Yeah, it makes <laughs> so it more the, digestible, the, cooking so them properly. The, the, truth, the truth about the danger of lectins is that you can take a quarter cup of uncooked red kidney beans and chew them up and get sick from that. You know, no debates about that. But the way we actually cook foods and consume them, it's the real non-issue.
0: Yeah, yeah. Also, when I think, and you mentioned earlier, when you mentioned wheat, I thought about amylopectin A, mm-hmm. which we have enzymes that can kind of break this down uh, relatively quickly, but amylopectin B, which is found in beans, can make it a little bit more interesting with digestion, but it's feeding our, our microbiome, our mm-hmm. gut bugs. Yeah. And this is one of the things you talk about with resistant starch. This mm-hmm. is critical for healing our liver function. So let's talk about the resistant starch.
1: So that's exciting stuff you know it's a type of carbohydrate and it's also a type of fiber it like straddles the definitions and it's let me back up a little bit so they first learned about this the worst condition for regulation of blood sugar is a thing called glycogen storage disease so some people genetically cannot make glycogen and there's a spectrum of this the worst versions of it someone who has it that doesn't eat for an hour or so can go into a coma you know i mentioned how we're not eating as we're talking. So if someone had glycogen storage disease, they can't internally control that. They can't prop their blood sugar up between meals. And yeah, they can go into a coma after a couple of hours of not eating. And wow. that had been just the biggest enigma. So imagine if a child had that, no one in the family could sleep. You know, you can't just go to sleep at night, that would be fatal. You've got to wake the child up and feed them every hour and a half. And some researchers learned about these newly discovered compounds called resistant starches and they thought about how the body breaks down glucose and you can take a chain of glucose apart really fast but when there's a lot of branches it takes longer and they thought i wonder if that might give them buy them more time because it's done in the large intestine and not absorbed in the small intestine and they went on and got over-the-counter cornstarch and gave people spoonfuls of cornstarch because it's got a lot of amylopectin and saw that they could get six, seven hours of stable blood sugar for the first time in recorded history. So then they found better versions of resistant starch and they saw that you can have seven to nine hours of rock solid blood sugar by consuming that. Hmm. And these results will show up even as much as a day later. Hmm. That's so cool. Yeah.
0: So there are a ton of different sources for resistant starches, but some are better than others, obviously. What do you think of tiger nuts? They've got some. They're a cool food. Yeah. De- they're definitely one of the sources of resistant starch. First of all, when I first heard the name, I was like,
1: wait a minute. So no tigers are involved. <laughs> just like,
0: Is this? <laughs> and um, so we've got that. But also in the book, you talk about several other sources. Green bananas?
1: Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, and the peels, too. The peels have a ton of that.
0: Wait a minute. <laughs> so the, keep the peel it in the let's talk, let's shift gears now I think this is a good Banana segue <laughs> to talking about why you're advocating on your metabolism reset diet for folks to consume some specific smoothies you know smoothies have been up and down in popularity but for me I always thought like it was such a great bridge because we can just create so much nourishment in one go if we do it right, it's no need to overdo it. Like we can get kind of crazy with it, but just getting some of the basic stuff in there that we really need in a way that we can, and also it's pretty easy to make it taste good, you know? And it's just such a good on-ramp for people. So let me know some some of the research that you have just on using shakes as far as kind of managing our health and our weight.
1: Well, so one big thing is about this trick of getting the protein without being overloaded with fuel you know, a lot of foods have protein, but the pitfall is that many have a lot of carbs or fat built in as well. Mm -hmm. And so to get that ratio right, it's easy to use some, some good plant foods and then some quality proteins. Mm -hmm. The other big thing about shakes is that there's been so much research on this concept of decision fatigue. And it looks like with dieting, diets are not harder based on how much food they have you cut out. Mm -hmm. They're harder to do based upon their complexity. Mm -hmm. And the more things you've got to figure out at each meal, the less apt you are to have adherence. Even if you cut out more food, but it's drop dead simple, it's easier to stick with. It's been shown over and over again. Mm -hmm. So my idea is you make a giant shake in the morning and you have half of that for your breakfast, you do another half of that for your lunch, and then here's how to make a good dinner, and that's it for a brief period of time. Mm -hmm. And that's not your long-term way of doing it, but for a short window of time, done correctly, that can reset the liver function.
0: Mm. Okay. All right. So, and this sounds very similar to, <laughs> to Slim Facts, <laughs> which we talked about before the show, because that was like the first thing I did, you know, in the marketing. Uh, it worked, minus the fact that in the decision fatigue was not yeah. an issue, but minus the fact that I wasn't really getting the nourishment that, that I was really needed corn to. Corn syrup it sustainable.
1: And, and corn oil. And <laughs> right.
0: And some pink go- Pepto Bismol, I think, was in there. I don't know. But so, but this is so different in. in, in health affirming because of the nutrition that was going into these shakes yeah right
1: but you're right the simplicity of it is a big part of the success behind that and there's lots of evidence saying that shakes as meal replacement is an effective strategy
0: yeah yeah i love it and so you mentioned earlier with the resistance starch so you mentioned one of the ways was uh, frozen banana with the peel, yeah, yeah. You know, going in there as a source of resistant starch. You've got some other stuff, some other interesting ticks, uh, tricks, and tools of the trade <laughs> in the book. And so, is there anything else important for folks and to keep in mind when creating their shakes? So, when I hear the cer- this, the term green smoothie, I really think like it's green, like <laughs> focus on that part of it. So, is there anything else we should know?
1: You know, just that, that's a great point. You can throw a lot of good things in there that have minimal impact upon taste, but lots of great impact upon nutrition. So you wanna get adequate protein for liver function. You wanna have some fuel, not none. Resistant starch is really helpful. I talked a bit about how the liver modulates what comes from the gut. And it turns out that the way liver makes bile is one of the biggest things that determines whether or not there's leaky gut. So we used to think that mm-hmm. leaky gut hurt the liver. Now what we're seeing is the liver is one of the big causes of leaky gut. And when the flora give the liver the short-chain fats that it needs, that's a big part of reversing it.
0: Mm, so fiber.
1: Well, so this is a funny thing. So resistant starch is a category. It's a type of fiber. And then the fiber itself is a category. So mm-hmm. I, one of my projects is that I want fiber not to be a singular word anymore. It's mm-hmm. got to be a plural word. It's a category. Like fat. Well, there's about 16 kinds of dietary fibers. Hmm. And I love people to really have their body get healthy and get resilient and be able to eat a broad range of natural food categories. If you cover all the main food categories, you can get 16 types of fibers. Hmm. If you're cutting out a lot of food categories, you cannot get more than a handful of fiber types.
0: Interesting. So true. I mean, sawdust is fiber. You <laughs> well, it's know? cellulose. That's non-digestible
1: <laughs> and not useful for our flora.
0: It's it's gonna brush through there. You know, maybe get a couple of splinters. But yeah. So there's different types of fibers. Resistant starch is under that umbrella. It's straddled between fiber and
1: carbohydrate. So fiber right. is non-caloric and and not useful for fuel directly. Resistant starch is, but by half. So it's half the caloric load of carbohydrate but it feeds the flora and it comes in the bloodstream from the colon Mm. versus the small intestine. So there's no insulin signaling or no glucose regulation.
0: Mm. Resistant starch. Yeah. That's so fascinating. All right, so in addition to the dietary data, which I think everybody needs to know this, like I said, when I did this episode a couple years back, just as masterclass on the liver, I was like, why is there not a book just talking about this stuff? It's all in here and you also give the protocol itself, the four week liver detox, but you have some adjuncts, you have some additional things that go hand in hand with the nutrition side. And you talk about the importance of sleep, yep. micro workouts and lowering your chemical burden. So I wanna go through those three things before we wrap up. So let's talk about sleep. Why does that matter
1: So this? Yeah, kudos to you for doing some work on that and for, for a great you. book on that topic. That's That's super important. And it turns out that's when the liver takes the time to do a lot of its fixing and repairing. So if you're not getting adequate, deep restorative sleep, this doesn't come around that much. Mm. And many have a full on sleep debt that's built up interest.
0: (laughs) Right, right, they owe big time. So, and you mentioned, obviously, so some folks work out too much. Well, so the 28 days, the important
1: point is what it takes to fix something is not always the same as what it takes to keep it from getting broken you know, like Humpty Humpty fell off the wall, right? And maybe maybe a seatbelt would have kept him on, but he needs glue after he's broken, right? right. <laughs> so the 28 days are not what I say are perfect for every day of day to day life mm-hmm. ad infinitum. I love exercise, a million benefits to yes. it. But when you're training hard, your liver is working in ways to where it can't really tap into the stuck stores as effectively. Mm-hmm. So I encourage people to lower their their training load so they can do better on less fuel during that brief window but I don't want their muscles to check out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I threw in some micro workouts. So it's just enough to keep the muscles activated and taking up protein and taking up nourishment yep. so that when it's all said and done, they're still around and they're still healthy.
0: Absolutely. And when you mentioned you're an advocate of exercise, first time I met you, you know, in person, I think you had just came from, what were you doing? Cause I, I thought it was hiking in my mind. I was, it was not that crazy, but were you scaling some rocks? Was that?
1: Could have been vertical rock. I'm a climber. Oh I climb God. rock and yeah, that could be <laughs> mountain unicycling. Maybe I mentioned that. I don't know.
0: Unicycling.
1: Yeah. On a mountain. So, so when we used to people ride like hardcore mountain bike trails, my favorite thing, my son and I both do this, we love yeah. nothing better than to cruise up next to them and say, oh, that's cute. You got a training wheel on there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's not right. That's not right. Allie, you, were, you were off the chains. I love it. So we got micro workouts, which you detail in the book. And they're pretty simple. And um, you give a good schedule, of course, for people to follow. But I want to finish by talking about lowering our chemical burden, right? This is something that I think is hiding in plain sight and something that we can do a little bit about. So let's talk about why is that included here?
1: You know, uh, it's just really that about giving the liver less work to do. And we hear a lot of ideas about detox. So I talk quite a bit about just pre you know, yeah. and rather than cleaning out the dirty water, keeping the water from getting dirty in the first place. Mm. And these are simple things. The the biggest source of pollution we get exposed to by far is indoor air in terms of the quantity and the actual mass of chemicals that come in our bodies. We think a lot about our food and it's of course important, but it's completely dwarfed by what we ingest from our day-to-day air, our ambient air backgrounds.
0: Oxygen is our number one nutrient (laughs) and it's a carrier now, you know, especially it's kind of Processed, you know, we think about processed food. Wow, that's so fascinating. So what should we do? You know open a window for example, you know Honestly, <laughs> you
1: could be in some of the most air polluted parts of the world and with an open window Make things better inside than they were before you open the window. Mm. So yeah, having some ventilation is super important mm-hmm.
0: Is there anything else as far as our environment to be mindful of, you know, maybe some I don't know somebody's just like heavy on the Dracar Noir and the, and the Burberry, I don't know. Like anything else that we should be mindful of that might be something to just kind of move to the side during this detox.
1: You know, that's relevant. Uh, indoor cleaning compounds, especially bleach derivatives, have had a lot of data showing that they're quite harmful for the lungs and the relevance there is, the lungs form an internal antioxidant called glutathione mm-hmm. and their ability to make that has direct impacts upon the liver's formation of its glutathione. So, yeah, a lot of cleaning compounds indoors are using bleach derivatives, like some of the powdered cleansers or spray-on cleansers. And, yeah, just very harsh on depleting glutathione from the
0: body. Mm -hmm. And it's it's super antioxidant, Mm -hmm. right? It's getting this label. Yeah. Wow, so good. There's so many other things I want to ask you about. And I'm just so grateful for uh, you taking the time and energy to put this together together and to answer my wish for a book on this (laughs) subject. And uh, I just think you're incredible. And so just thank you so much for coming and hanging out with me.
1: You know, always a big fan of your work and just always glad to spend time with you, Sean. And cool stuff. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. I received
0: (laughs) that. So can you let everybody know where they can pick up the brand new book? and where they can connect with you online.
1: For sure. You know, the book is an easy thing wherever you get books normally. For most folks these days, that's Amazon. But bookstores are nice, too, and they need love. So bookstores have that. And DrChristensen.com. For those who wish, we've got a seven-day challenge going on to where they can try the whole 28-day thing out. We've got a real detailed version they can try out for free and see if it's gonna be helpful for them.
0: Perfect. All right, Alan, this has been so incredible. Final question for you. What is the model that you're here to set for other people with how you live your life personally. All right, so I picture you rolling past on the one, you know, on the unicycle on the <laughs> mountain, and I'm just like, what is this a thing? But you're really just uh, setting an incredible example. And so, for you personally, though, what is the model you're setting with how you live your life personally? You know,
1: my my best self when I'm doing things the way I would like, which more often than not I would think, um, is being connected with something that matters you know feeling like i'm making a difference in some way and for some people they're off saving the world quite literally and for others of us that means you know helping our kids have a little bit better view of themselves or helping them have a more positive outlook about their future or those like yourself who are reaching a larger audience helping them see what is possible and to realize that the barriers may not really be barriers so i'd say it's that is living living in a mission and being connected with that
0: perfect Dr. Alan Christensen, thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me, Sean.
0: Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. One of the smartest people that I know and such an incredible book and really that masterclass, and so much more put into uh, this treatise on uh, an organ that has so much importance that's just really overlooked. And again, I think that we've been barking up the wrong tree in a lot of our Uh, Conventional treatment for issues over the years. You know, we mentioned briefly about thyroid conditions. And if something's broke, we tend to just look right at that area and we don't look up or downstream at what might be causing the issue in the first place. And this is the word holistic. You know, it's kind of been given a little bit of a kind of airy fairy context, but it really means whole, the whole person. And we can't look at ourselves in isolation but we do need to look at some of these things that, again, are hiding in plain sight. Our liver is incredibly important and protective, and it's not something that we can easily take a peek at, but we definitely wanna pay attention to supporting our liver function, just like with our brain, just like with our heart. This matters, you know, and this is one of the organs that is often considered a second brain in and of itself. And so I definitely recommend picking up the Metabolism Reset Diet, and right now, listen, This is just getting started, all right? We're just getting warmed up. We've got so many incredible episodes coming your way, but if you got a lot of value out of this episode, please share it out with the people that you care about on social media. Tag me, I'm at Sean Model, and let me know what you thought about the episode. And again, lots of good stuff coming your way, so be ready.